basically like a couple of weeks ago, I just decided that I made a mistake. I was having a conversation with somebody and I said, well, when we get to June, we'll do X, Y, Z. And I said it like three times in the middle of this meeting. And eventually one of the guys looks up and he's like, I'm a little lost here. When you say June, you're talking about June 2017 then? Cause that's a long ways away. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, sorry. I meant next month. And he goes, next month's not June. I'm like, whatever, July, August, whatever, wherever we're at. And he's like, dude, we're like halfway through August. Next month would be September. And I'm like, holy crap. Since Linux Fest Northwest, I have not had four or five days stretch of time where I haven't had like critical things that have to be done. And, and so I basically about that time I started thinking, I said, well, you know, I need to, I need, just need to take some time and, and just kind of reset my head. So uh, I just decided this week I am once you, once, once you uh, text me about the double last and I thought, well, I'm not going to have last on Sunday, then I basically have got a weekend off. So I just took this whole week plus this coming weekend and I just, I'm, I'm done. I'm I'm checking out. So what I've a good been, boy. yeah, I've been at the lake since we got done with last on Sunday. So you're in the perfect frame of mind for a new show. Oh, nominally, yeah. nominally today, eventually we're going to get there. Our topic is going to be tiling window managers. We have we one of us amongst the group is a big advocate, and I actually don't know what the other person standing is. I guess I just kind of tipped my cards there, didn't I? Uh, but you know, I, I am actually kind of looking forward to today's episode, if nothing else, because uh, probably out of anybody I could do a show with, nobody else probably knows how my mind works like you two. So you guys, uh, you know, <laughs> that just means we control you the best. Yeah, exactly. So it could be, it could be for a fun show. That could be good. So I have uh, two kind of things that uh, I have subtopics that I wanted to chat with you guys about, and one of them is the is one that Rekai and I share with, and we thought this would be a good way to troll Noah right off the top of the show. That's good. That's a great way to welcome me back into town. Yeah, yeah. It's a Windows game, and I can't oh, stop talking about it. Yeah, it's called No Man's Sky. And it is a lot of fun to play. It's it scratches like that Star Trek Explorer itch in me because I had the perfect I had the perfect sort of um, getting to know this game where because it was a Windows game I didn't really care much about it and didn't follow the news, and then it landed and I started seeing people talk about it and I thought, well, why don't I just go give it a go on good old game? See if I could download the executable and just run it under wines and check out what everybody's talking about. I hadn't really followed the game. I didn't really have any expectations. I hadn't seen any E3 trailers that made it look like Jurassic Park. I had just simply one day downloaded this game and gave it a go and was just astonished with what I found. The, the universe is procedurally generated by the game. It's essentially a shared universe, but there's trillions of systems in it. So you sort of start out in your own spot of the universe, and you get to claim and name the stuff that you discover, everything from plants and animals to planets and entire systems. And you start with no instruction, with really no idea what to do, and you just kind of have to figure out as you go along how to survive, how to mine. And once you get your ship working, you can come, come and go from any planet, and you, you can take off from the surface of a planet, go up into the atmosphere, fly up into space, and just hyperdrive to another planet, go down in the atmosphere, and land. And if you don't like that planet, you take off and go to another one. I just, uh, I, it really scratches that explorer itch that I had that Star Trek Online never gave me. In Star Trek Online, I, it was very instanced. You know, I would, I, would, I would load into a zone, I would fly up to the planet, then I would load into the next zone, beam down to the planet, and each one was a different instance, where in, in No Man's Sky, it, it's just, I, I can... I, I mine and I explore this planet's surface and then I get in my plane and I can fly around that planet and its surface and land somewhere else or I can just go off into space. Hmm. So I'd say you're off having, in space already if you're uh, <laughs> not having uh, 
known too much about the game before it came out. Are you enjoying it? I think so. I'm I'm kind of wondering like how long I'm going to be down with like inventory management. That feels like the game shortcoming for me. But I keep getting I'm still at the phase where I have a lot of things to upgrade and not this is really early in the game so this is not a spoiler. Um once I got my warp drive fixed and I left my my system solar system that I've been playing in I I just expected another solar system that was procedurally generated that would just be another set of planets and I I really didn't have super high expectations. And when I arrived in the next solar system, there were spaceships and a space station and like people coming and going from the space. It was, I ended up flying inside a space station and landing a walk around a space station. And this was just blowing my mind. Like I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Um, And I also really, I really liked the cleverness of when you want to figure out how something works, you just kind of think about how things work in the real world. So for example, if you want to make a little extra money, you, before you go down to a planet, stop by the space station and see what's selling for a lot of money. And then you can always go to the system next over, harvest a lot of that stuff, and bring it to the next system and sell it for a premium, just like you would in real life. Or you could go to a like the shop in the, the space station. You can look at what stuff is selling for because they have market values above and below. You can just buy something that is being sold below market value and then go sell it to one of the guys on one of the ships. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to go to a planet. So you've done some Let's Plays. You've been doing, I, don't know, I think you and I have probably played about the same amount. Maybe you've played a little more now. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts on it? Um, I enjoy it a lot, mostly because I went into it pretty skeptical. Um, I had known a lot about it, um, but I bought it because I wanted specifically an exploration game where I could just sit back, relax, explore, uh, you know, find new things and I've enjoyed it so far. Now, if you go onto places like Reddit, uh, there are a lot of people who are very disappointed. And I feel like a lot of the reason they're disappointed is because when the game was being developed, um, they didn't really get into the, the specifics of what you'd be able to do. And a lot of the stuff they did get into specifics about haven't, materialized in the game yet Mm. and i have a theory that a lot of the content that was originally going to be in the shipping version was cut uh to make the release date time yeah uh because they did a partnership with sony uh to have the playstation version come out on a certain date and i think they just couldn't get a lot of the stuff done in time so they cut it so it feels in some ways like a very empty game because a lot of the stuff that was promised is really exciting. And yeah. I think one of the things that's made it more compelling for me was on a whim, you and I were talking about uh, me playing No Man's Sky at home. And I didn't really mind having to start over, but you'd mentioned, gosh, you know, you've kind of made some progress on your machine here at the studio. Why don't you? See if you can take the game config. And so we did a little digging, and uh, sure enough, we quickly figured out that, yeah, you could simlink the configuration directory for No Man's Sky into Dropbox or something like that. And uh, so I moved the No Man's Sky config directory into Dropbox and then simlinked from the Dropbox folder to where the config originally was under the Wine uh, you know, C drive. And then just created that same simlink at home. 
And so now what I have is I have a shared No Man's Sky configuration between my home system and the and the system here in the studio. Mm-hmm. So I, when I when I start playing, it's everything's the same. All my save spots are the same. So not only is No Man's Sky a shared universe in sort of the technical sense, but it's for me it's a very real universe because I can play it on multiple computers and it's the same exact experience and, and universe for me. And and, so just I, to, and just to be clear, this entertainment is brought to you by proprietary Dropbox syncing things on Windows. Yeah. Well, okay. no, no, I'm not playing on Windows. I'm, I'm playing on oh. Linux under Wine. It oh. runs really well under Wine. Gotcha. In fact, it probably w- runs better under Wine than it does on Windows currently. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I've that right there, that little trick right there. Plus, it means if I, I suppose if I really hose something up, I could use Dropbox's previous versions and go back a little bit in the game if I had to, which kind of makes it feel safer to invest more into it. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you like cheating, Chris. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, um, no, while you were away, the mice came out to play. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, I, I put I, I put Wes up to a challenge during Linux Unplugged this week to see if he could get uh, Arch Linux running on my 2013 MacBook Pro. <sighs> what? No, nothing. I, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very, how'd that go, dude? You're coming here's, at me. All right, here's, you're, here's, you're, <clears throat> here's here's the here's the thing. What? What's the uh, thing? The thing is. The best part and the worst part about you are one and the same, and that is that if you do something like you make a you make a a, a hardware choice that, that I'm not a fan of or something, uh, that, that that's the that's the bad news is that 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 stuff happens sporadically and, and spontaneously. But the good news 2013. is 2013. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. But here here's hey. the good news. 2013. But here's the good news. It won't be very long before that computer becomes outdated and then and then it, it, it's not useful. So I'm happy to see that we're moving in the right direction. I'm just, I don't know. So I'm going to let you finish, Mr. Surface, but... Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> now, yeah, I walked right into that one. <sighs> Sorry, I think... No, 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 go ahead. I actually, I think I disagree. I I have not been particularly tuned into this machine because it's really just sort of like the, oh, we need a, we need a Mac... Uh, throw a Mac at it, which is not, it's something that almost has not even really come up at all this last few months. Uh-huh. And so it felt like, it felt like it was safe to, um, to try Linux on there finally. So I was ready to take the, all right, this is the backup Mac. Oh, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I misunderstood. Are you telling me like you wiped the hard drive and put Arch on there? No. And, and I decided not to do that because of okay. most of the time when people email into one of our shows, they want to do a boot. So I figured we should do that. Okay. Um, but it's uh, it's the majority of the drive, yeah. and it's the default. It's the default OS is Linux. Gotcha. And um, so I decided, okay, I'm ready to risk this machine to try this because this is a common question that we get in. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wes got uh, Antigross working on there with the NVIDIA graphics, and we installed the Linux nice. MacBook kernel specifically. And you know what? I think I've I think I've come to the uh, solid conclusion that a 2013 laptop with a dedicated NVIDIA GPU is still better mm-hmm. than a Skylake quote-unquote, i7 with Skylake graphics? Uh, maybe. I guess it depends on what you're doing. Chris, may I ask you a, a rather weird question? Mm-hmm. Do you have a dog? You can hear that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who, who, where's that dog coming from? Uh, the neighbors. Yeah. Okay, I just, you know, weed whacking. See, when they're not, when they're not out weed whacking, they put the dogs out, and then when they, they bring the dogs in when they got a weed whack. I've told us. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> since, you know, we're a studio that does a lot of talking, I guess the dogs enjoy our talking and want yeah. to give us feedback. They're talking back live. to us. Oh, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. Good. Uh, so, so anyway, it, anyway so hold on. Just a couple more details. Yeah, okay. It, yeah, it uses details. System D to boot. There's no grub installed. Okay. It boots in like four seconds. Um, okay. No Man's Sky works well enough on it. But what really struck me 
and you're going to just have to see it, is I, I, can't, I can't believe how good GNOME 3 looks on the 15-inch Retina display. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I can't, I can't describe to you how, how excited I get every time I look at that screen. The, mm-hmm. the terminal fonts, dude, look so good. They look mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. So it's just nice. It's nice to look at that. I've never seen GNOME look so good before. And I've had it on, I've had it on high DPI display before. Have yeah. you installed the, uh, the Infinality font yet? You know, I just have not been... It, it, Rikai, I can't even imagine it looking any better. I know it could, but then I would never get any work done. I would be too busy looking at my screen all the time. I guess here's here's what would make me feel really good, is if we ha- if there was a way where we could introduce some sort of friction into going, it, for people that are switching over to Linux, if there was some sort of friction to going back to macOS, because here's what I've seen. I've seen this a billion times uh, as somebody who tries to switch a lot of people to Linux. <clears throat> I'm going to give Linux a shot. I'm going to install Linux on my MacBook. That's the laptop I have. I install it. And then they do the side-by-side comparison. They go back and forth and back and forth. And like it hits like 85 or 90% of the marks. And then there's like 10% of a couple things. They're like, eh, this actually worked a little better in macOS. And then they revert, right? Whereas Windows, there's such a high cost to going back to Windows because it's not like, it's not like, Oh, well, I switch back and then my programs will crash all the time and it'll blue screen. And half the time, in your case, half the time Windows won't even boot, even if I haven't touched it in a couple months, haven't done anything to the computer at all. All of a sudden, Windows isn't going to boot. There's a cost to going back to Windows. And I feel like that cost isn't quite as high with Mac OS. And so I'd be, I, I, I guess I'd be more excited for people to install Linux on their MacBooks and get a better experience on, on, on class A hardware if there was some sort of resistance to prevent them from going back to Mac OS, if that makes any sense. So I think what you're, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is that Linux is not competitive when it stacks up against macOS. And mm. the, the, the real problem is, is that people do a side-by-side comparison and decide that macOS is a better product. Yeah, I, I feel like rather than add friction, we should just fix that last 15%. Mm, well, maybe. But so the p- part of the problem is not that it's, I, I wouldn't say that it's not competitive. I would say that it excels in certain areas and... And fails in other areas, and I think macOS excels in certain areas and fails in, in in other areas. And I think that the problem becomes is when people find people are uh, Linux is viewed a lot of times as the outside competitor, and I, I think a lot of times when somebody tries an operating system, they enter into it with a preconceived notion that macOS is the real operating system, Windows is the real operating system, Linux is the want to be operating system. Let's see if Linux can do what macOS does, rather than just evaluating the two. And you, Chris. Andrakai actually would be very well to you. You should understand this very well in in that both of you can look at an operating system and say, here are the merits and here are the demerits of both of these operating systems and and split that right down the middle and say, these are this operating system is good for these things. And this operating system is good for those things. And I think a lot of people just don't have that ability to enter into it with that kind of that reset mind mindset. They, they come into it with those preconceived notions. And so it becomes easy to fall back into that easy track of, well, this is what my coworkers are using. And this is what the office is using. And this is what Joe down the street is using. And my sisters and my brothers have the, and, and it, it's kind of that, that road well-traveled and it's easy to fall into that track. And I, and I feel like that track isn't quite as that, that, that track isn't as deep and isn't as compelling on the Windows side as it is on, on the Mac side. See, I feel like your response to that, though, is the wrong response because you're going to introduce friction, which just is going to make them dislike it more in the long run. I think the the proper solution would just be to make the parts where we're weak a lot better to the point where they can't deny that it's really good. 
Yeah. Well, we then we need to we we have a long ways to go though. I guess uh, in in a lot in a lot of regards, if you're if you're a, if I'm evaluating Linux from the same standpoint as somebody who buys a Mac, then I expect to walk into a store. And I expect to pay a lot of money, but I expect everything to work right out of the box with no configuration tinkering whatsoever. I expect it to be backed by a huge multi-billion dollar company that's going to sell me aftermarket, uh, you know, kind of insurance, a little card with a red uh, logo on it that I can take back in and they'll fix it for me basically anytime. And uh, if any of the hardware breaks, I expect them to fix that. And I expect to have access to basically all of my applications. And if those applications aren't available, I expect it to be a valid excuse to basically anyone, oh, I'm on Linux. If we could hit all of those points, then I think that you could start to, then I think you could start to compete on a more playing, uh, a more level playing ground. Well, you are the fan of the distro that has a multi-billion dollar corporation behind it. Uh, Maybe you should talk to them. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, Red Hat has been making moves recently uh, about, you know, like we covered in last, uh, getting ready to hire people to do laptops um, yeah. support. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it's the, you're fighting the wrong fight, Noah. I think oh, so. Well, you see, I think what you're talking about is you're talking about the type of user in, in sort of the meta sense that looks at the computer similar to how people look at cars and toaster ovens. Mm-hmm. Does it it does it does it get a certain gas mileage? Mm-hmm. Does it meet a certain price point for me? And does it meet a certain functional requirement? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, toaster oven. Does it toast the right amount of toast? Does it fit my pizzas that I want to cook in it? Does it meet the right price point? Is it primable? These yeah. are the things that they consider. Not uh, not what's the quality of the elements in this particular toaster oven or who makes the exhaust system in this particular car. It's these they don't get into the esoteric things like this where they know there are certain things that may be designed better than other things. It's much more of a practical, functional decision. And I don't know if not only do I think those users are almost impossible to switch because they just computers should do ABC. And if they don't do ABC, then they're not a computer for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if Linux can't do one of those things, it just disqualifies it automatically. Mm-hmm. And that, that type of user is, is never really going to be Linux's strong suit. The type of user that Linux, I think, is going to do fundamentally the best at for the next few years mm-hmm. are the users who do understand there's a choice to be made here. There is a bit of a difference between these choices there may be a trade-off, but there's also going to be some efficiencies or um, things improved. Uh, and I, 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 that sounds like a, geez, who would, who would really that be? Well, I would argue um, this is the type of user that switched to the Mac after Apple went to x86. Apple saw when, when two things. When Apple went x86, and I'm not, I'm not kidding, when mm-hmm. Canonical launched Unity, there were a lot of people who bought Macs. And then when Windows 8 came out, a lot more people that bought Macs. Those are the type of people that recognize there's a difference. So mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be like the super tiny elite market. It simply just has to be a more discerning consumer of a certain kind. And so I think if you look at it from that angle, the type of people you're going after are never going to be the strong suit. They're always, there's always going to be wiggly issues. But also at the same time, I would argue a lot of those users' workflow is probably slowly getting replaced with something else or... Yeah, going into the cloud or something. Yeah, like that. I, no, I think you're right. I think that the uh, I think that the proliferation of the web browser has done more for uh, desktop Linux than probably any other technical uh, advantage ever. And the funny thing is, is most of us started back when that started to become a thing, and even through today. I mean, I just had a rant. Well, I guess I haven't had a rant yet, but I will have a rant about about things being so internet centric uh, in the future. And um, 
and you know, so, so that's the thing, but at the same time, I guess most of the tinkerers I know, most of the people like you were to, to, to use your example that are looking and saying, this is the kind of exhaust it has. This is the kind of this it has. Those are not MacBook people to me. Those are the people that are building their own desktops and ThinkPad users and, uh, and Asus, uh, users. I, I, mm. I don't know many people that buy MacBooks and I, I'm just at me personally, I've not come across many people that come MacBooks and they're like, this is the MacBook. And I chose this particular one because it has this generation of Intel processor and this brand of Ram and th- half of them don't even know what's in it. Um, they show up and they go, yeah, it's got an SSD. I don't know. I think you're generalizing. I think that's definitely a huge Mac. Um, I think it's a majority. No, I see. I think when Apple is current on the MacBooks, when those are when those are when those are updated machines, mm-hmm. you if you start going through a certain set of requirements, if you say, okay, I'd like a high DPI screen, I would mm-hmm. like PCI SSD storage, I would like an actual four core i seven processor, mm-hmm. I would like seven or more hours of battery life, I would mm-hmm. like to have Thunderbolt or USB three or something like that. You start you start combining these things, and you basically get down to a handful of about five laptops. I today. agree. I agree. And when the MacBook has been recently refreshed. It often has some of the most competitive components because one of the things, if you actually run Mac OS, mm-hmm. that it does extremely well is battery life. They've written, mm-hmm. they've mm-hmm. got it down now where they use the Intel graphics for the 2D rendering of everything in the OS. Yeah, they have. And then, spe- and then specifically, they just hand off GL calls. So they mm-hmm. can fire up the discrete graphics on demand just for certain GL calls. They don't even mm-hmm. have to do a complete context switch. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to really eke out a lot of battery life sure. by their, because, you know, they tightly control everything. And I think when you stack up a modern MacBook Pro, which is going to be updated in about a month, mm-hmm. it, it I think there are people that buy it because of the specs. I think there, again, I think there's probably a handful. I don't think it's the majority of MacBook users. In fact, I don't even think it's a, I don't even think it, it, it's a significant portion of, of MacBook users. Um uh, and again, I base that off of just what I've run into people I've met, the, 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 the kind of people that, that, uh, that really dig into the hardware stuff are not the people that I've met that purchase MacBooks. The people I have met that purchase mm-hmm. MacBooks kind of, they stay on that surface yeah. edge a little bit. I think more. if you're talking enthusiasts, I would agree, but I think there's also a huge category of professionals who buy the Mac Pros and the MacBook Pro who are very, very anal about the parts that are in those machines. And the only reason I say that is because as somebody who's had to buy a couple of Macs for production here at JB over the years, and mm-hmm. God knows it was a painful, slow process for me, mm-hmm. uh, I very much made decisions based on the hardware that was in these machines. And Sure. Uh, I, I know I'm not alone. I know that you can look at any creative workflow forms, and there's a lot of people there very particular yeah, I, about the hardware. I think a lot of people that are in the creative field, though, they're not looking to, they're not looking to tinker. They're looking to get work done. And I think yeah. that's, I think I, now I we're, agree. I, yeah, we're, and I don't think they're going to be the switchers. I think it's what I'm talking about when I say people who are Mac, like the people that got into the Mac platform when they came into x86, I'm talking about mm-hmm. the type of person who was aware there was an alternative. So yeah. I'm not saying that necessarily the type of person that buys a MacBook, I'm saying the type of consumer that sure. realize that there's a predominant platform called Windows. And then there's this other platform yep. that's uh, got this fruit on it and comes in different colors. Yep. And maybe I should look at that. Yep. More and more, I think people of a certain caliber like that will be our Linux switchers. And I don't think you really have to worry about the people who look at c- yeah. computers the same way they look at cars. Yeah, I think I think you're definitely right when you talk about. I I, th- I agree there 100. percent The 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 rebel sort of uh, anti-establishment kind of person uh, is the person that switched to Apple before it was cool, and now that Apple is cool, they're switching to something else. You know, name it Linux. Uh, that I think there is there is a there is a portion to be had, and I think that there are a number of people. I was talking actually with a developer 
Uh, and again, he would not be the kind of person that, uh, that, that dives into individual components. He just wants to buy a computer off the shelf and use it. Um, but he, uh, he works for, I'm sure you've heard of Stripe, the, uh, yeah. credit card. Yeah. So he, and, and so, and he's a dev with them. And, uh, and he was telling me, he said, for, for whatever reason, lately coding on his MacBook has become insanely painful. And he's actually doing his coding now inside of an Ubuntu VM running on his MacBook. And so I was talking to him, I said, why don't you just install Linux on the thing? And he goes, this is a pain. But uh, it's a pain to install it on the, on the bare metal, but to get what I need to get done actually works perfectly inside of a, inside of a VM. So that, that's what he's doing. And I think, there, I think you've mentioned this in the past is if we're not ready as a Linux platform to accept those people that already have made a hardware investment and want to come over to the operating system platform, then we have a fundamental problem. And that I agree with. I think we can all get on board with that. Patreon.com slash today. That's where you go to support the network and also help new projects like this that we're experimenting with. Something like this is the perfect example of a of why crowdfunding is brilliant for online media. Because when we start doing the show, it, it, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. And ha- hand to the spaghetti monster in the sky. Uh, you guys feel free to say otherwise if it's not true. Have we once discussed how to make this show advertiser friendly? Or where are they going to fit the sponsor in? Nope. And legitimately, also, Rikai was like, today, he's like, so are you going to do a Patreon plug in this show? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll probably do one. Because, you know, really what's so freeing about the crowdfunding model is we think about what does the audience want? What would, what would we enjoy creating for them? And not what does an outside company want? And that's, I think, key. Patreon.com slash today. So, Mr. Chris. Yes, sir. Related to the Patreon. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, you guys often talk about how you need more money, but you rarely talk about uh, some of the stuff you want to do with that money. Is there anything you would like to share with the audience? Hookers and blow. Would like to do in the future? Hookers and blow. Hmm. I mean, there's big things, really, really big things that I'm a little afraid to say Hookers. on on air. Yeah. Um, but there, one of the things I'd like to do as we start increasing funding, you know what I'm going to say to this already, don't you? Maybe. Um. <clears throat> I don't know really how to phrase this, uh, but I wanted to do, um, I wanted, I want to refresh all of our milestones and make it a little more clear what we would do with them at different points. But one of the things I think, what I've actually thought about more is what we would do in between the individual milestones. And one of the ideas I really like is relaunching some of the audience's favorite past shows as, as, yeah, yeah, Plan B, Cybite, things like that. As we reach individual milestones, we'll unlock like another five episodes. Things like that. Also trying out new shows where we could do things like, this is all just theory. It's not, and this is only if we start going this direction. But ideas like uh, some shows that would be completely new one-off batch shows that when when a level of funding is unlocked, immediately uh, five episodes are released. Sort of like House of Cards Netflix style where you get the entire series in a single drop. Whereas other shows would be weekly podcasts that would run for a set amount of time until we got to, until we either didn't reach the next funding level or whatever. I think uh, another blocker to to some of the show ideas is just that we also don't have the level of income where we can get more hardware to be able to do some of these ideas. If you take a more skeptical approach, then when in a couple months you end up running a tiling window manager, I'll just have more fun saying I was right. So as somebody that's run a tiling window manager in the past, uh, I'm going to say that's not true. (laughs) <laughs> that because I won't have Iran, more fun? No, that, that Chris is not going to end up liking it. It just doesn't suit the, the style of 
desktop that he is used to. Tell, tell me, I, t- okay, let's start with this. In the same way that I both gave you both credit for being able to evaluate an operating system from a completely neutral, no bias standpoint. Let's try and do that with, with desktop environments. And for everyone out there, that's there, I can see, feel them right now. I can, I can just hear the keyboards clickety click away, right? And they're all firing off hate mail talking about how awesome an Xmonad, they're not, they're not desktop managed, they're, they're window managers. And then we have desktop environments. Can we just, for the purpose of discussion, can we just call everything a DE just to make it easier? I uh, yeah okay that's fine just so that way we don't get lost in the in the uh, in the grammar police. Right. I wanted to just so uh, here's here's my premise unless you'd like me to hold it, but here's why I think Rikai's point might be valid, uh, and I think maybe you you're wrong. <laughs> um, I think it comes down to like uh, like taste and food. Yep. You know I think I think I have a I have a very learned workflow that I've I've literally been using since the 80s. Yeah, you have the McDonald's t- taste and I'm suggesting to you No, you have like the home uh you have the home charcoal grilled burger taste and I'm suggesting to you uh like McDonald's. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I'm not saying which one's better than the other. In fact, that's exactly what I'm trying to say is I don't believe one is better than the other because okay. just like uh, what's something I like that food wise that you don't like, Rikai? Mexican. I love yeah. going out to Mexican, <laughs> right? Rikai does not enjoy going out to Mexican. Rikai now, does doesn't make... like enjoy going out for anything. That's not true at all. Oh, but really? they, but oh, my, sorry, my, other than Five Guys. My, my yeah, yeah, I like Thai food. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, right. that's right. So my, but my point is, is I don't. That doesn't necessarily fundamentally make Mexican food bad or good. It just simply means my tastes prefer Mexican food and Rikai's tastes don't. Right. But you prefer to get work done, right? Yes. And you like your computer to stay out of the way of you getting work done, right? Yes. So I submit to you then, given the proper opportunity, I think I could make, I think, well, I shouldn't say I could make, I couldn't do anything, but I think that Xmonad could make an excellent choice for you. And I think, I think it takes a little bit to, to get your head, I, I don't want to say get your head wrapped around, that's the wrong term, because that implies that you don't understand or don't know how, how those things work. But I guess in this, in this, do, okay, I, I got it. Do you remember, do you remember a couple years ago when you, when you hated GNOME and then you forced yourself to use a little part of GNOME and then you basically whole hog switched to loving GNOME? No, I, I do not recall that at all. Okay. No, well, of course so, not. <clears throat> okay, so that happened. That was the thing. Okay, and <laughs> and so basically, I'll tell you. Here's here's kind of how I came to uh, uh, to this conclusion. Basically, a couple years ago, same friend actually, I was talking to it. You know, last uh, whatever we call it segment. Um, the guy works for Stripe, and I was having coffee with him, and uh, I was talking to him about how he does his work. And he says, "Well, I use Xmonad. That's how I get everything done. Is Xmonad." And I said, "Okay, that's cool. Looks like a waste of time. Looks like I've sacrificed my mouse because I have two components to controlling my computer." And I said, no, seriously. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, here, go over to Thunderbird. He's like, okay, and he's like entering all these key commands and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I, my computer, I just click on Thunderbird, and it would just boom. I got two ways to interface, and I, I would prefer not to give one of them up. But okay, fine. So he's showing me how how it works. And I'm I I didn't like it at all. In fact, I hated it. And then I was watching um, The Fifth Estate. Have you seen it? Um, I don't it's a, think it's I a great have. movie. It's a great movie. Okay. And uh, and it, it's, it is the dramatization of Julian Assad. And, and, oh, and, and, that's right. And, yeah, that's why I haven't watched it. Oh, well, no, it's, it's actually, I mean, well, maybe. The problem is to see, I have the factual yeah, course yeah, of events yeah. in my head and I don't want to confuse yeah. it with the well, good for version. good for you because it, it probably does take a lot of liberty, but in it there are some excellent Linux shots. I mean, some really awesome. Oh, Linux, oh yeah, yeah. And so they are using awesome 
And he is modifying his Lua, Lua script and making awesome change and do different things. Uh, and, and he's customizing it. And I'm like, that'd be really cool. So I look and sure enough, somebody has published the Lua script for, uh, I think it's Lua. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Is it Lua awesome? I think it's Lua. Anyway, yeah, yeah. he publishes the, they publish a Lua script and I'm like, oh cool. I can have that uh, same thing. So I install awesome, <clears throat> hated it. Terrible uh, window manager. Didn't like it at all. And, uh, but I have this, this window script and I'm able to do the same thing where he had his IRC window down in the corner and has this, and I kind of lay out my screen the same way. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. It was a nice experiment. I still think this sucks. Fast forward two years ago to scale. I'm going or three years ago, I, w- I went to scale. First time I went to scale and I was there with a friend and, uh, and he was running Xmonad. Now this is the third time I've come across uh, tiling window manager two from actual people that work in industry. And I, I consider it to be very intelligent. I said, just sell me on Xmonad. Cause it just looks like a, a waste of time. Waste. I just, I hate it. The, the interface looks ugly and nothing about it makes me want to use the computer. And he's, and he's just talking. He says, well, the thing is, he's like, you know, you get, you get a, a notification, the notification pops up over your screen or you go to switch a, 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 to a, to a window and, and then that takes focus. And if, especially if you're starting and you're reading from one window and typing into another inside of a terminal or something like that, or composing an email and reading another one, how do you, how do you lay those two things out across the screen? I said, well, I drag one window over here and the other one and I'd have them both up. Or really I would just have multi-monitor. He goes, oh, you haven't seen multi-monitor until you've seen it with Xmonad. And so over the next couple hours, he's selling me on Xmonad. I'm like, you know, I give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. So I installed Xmonad on one of my spare computers, a spare laptop that I had with me. And I started playing with it and I really got into it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning the key commands, which took forever, by the way. And I'm writing custom scripts to make my F keys do different things. And it, it, it's kind of fun and feels sort of hackerish. And it, it's great. Um, and then I get home and I'm redoing my desktop at home. And... I thought, I wonder what he's talking about when he's talking about this great multi-monitor support. So I get six displays that sit down in my basement. I install Xmonad on Fedora and multitasking. You have not seen multitasking until you've seen a tiling window manager with a multi-monitor because I can make, you know, I can, I can take one screen and divide it up and have, you know, two terminals or I can have six windows or the other day I sent you a screenshot. It wasn't an Xmonad, but I had like, 15 or 20 different terminal windows open and I was doing a bunch of different things. If I would have been down on my workstation and I could have just hit, you know, alt enter 16 times and all of a sudden have 16 terminal windows and be running all of these commands and bounce between them. It's great. Show notes, having simple note up on in uh, on one thing, having Google docs up on another window and a web browser up on a third one, all in one screen, all tiled exactly, you know, so you can see all three of them and you can jump focus from one to the other. I mean, it's fantastic. And, and I think that you, Chris, specifically, I think that you would benefit from the ability to have that sort of multitasking, especially when, when you're prepping. Now, I don't know on screen if that would be the most appropriate place for something like that, but I, hmm. I, think, it, I think it really might have a place. Okay, you are your- kind of speaking my language. I'll, I'll give you that because uh, my very, very common workflow for me is – uh, I'll have three or four terminal windows, and I'll have my browser window, mm-hmm. and I'll have two or three file browser windows, and I'll have a text document, and I'll have Telegram, and I might have VLC up. So that's a pretty common window layout for me, and that's and then you know that's and that's the that's one virtual desktop, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? Right. And then there's and that's a multi monitor, two monitor setup, one that's a, a widescreen vertical two K monitor, or I mean regular standard portrait. What is that? Landscape, I guess? Standard monitor layout, 2K. And then I have one that's on its side, uh, same resolution. And I sort of lay things out that way. So I could kind of see it for that. But what I feel like is 
I should have only, this is like something that I need to be muscle memory level kind of interaction. And so it feels like yes. it's worth investing just in one desktop and making that work in each one of my use cases. Yeah. Not only do you have to, not only, I mean, the key commands have to become second nature. You're right. It, it becomes, it becomes a way more hindrance, uh, way more because you can't even look it up, right? If you forget to, like, so I have D menu installed, so I hit alt P and then I can type Firefox and it opens up kind of the same way that I would hit the start menu in GNOME, right? Uh, but if you don't, if you don't know those keys and there's been a couple of times, I remember the first time I installed it, I get to X monad and then it's just a blank background and I'm waiting for something to load and nothing loads. And I click a couple times and I push a couple buttons and nothing happens. And I'm like, well, I'm screwed. I can't even yeah. open up Firefox to Google what to do. Right. So, and in that note, I don't have a single computer even today that doesn't have another desktop environment installed. Cause for casual browsing, I'm watching a YouTube video or I'm watching something in VLC it sucks. It's really focused towards, I need to get something done and I want to get into getting something done mode. And then it shines. And particularly for me, where I spend so much time bouncing between my email client and my terminal to be able to have those full screen, I definitely think it might warrant some further review on a, hmm. uh, on a Linux show at some point. Hmm. Now, why didn't it work for you? Why did it break down? Um, I feel like when you're doing a lot of tiling, you don't really so much... Like you can view a small section of a lot of things, but a lot of the stuff I do is very content heavy. So mm. really you're mm. just seeing less of stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you mean when you say content heavy? You mean because it's like a video or what do you mean? Well, you got videos, you got text heavy web pages, you got uh, your, your programming, you got video a lot editor. Of, a lot, yeah, video editor. So for me, I feel like. I'd rather just have a few things mm -hmm. full screen on separate monitors. See, now I wouldn't use it for video editing. I think that'd be a horrible, uh, a horrible workflow for for tiling window manager. So you're going to just bounce around multiple desktop environments? Well, I so the way I look at the way I look at uh, Xmonad is I look at it as not quite all the way into. Uh, a full desktop. I and I know I just I know I realize what's happening, right? I started by saying let's just level everything out, and now I'm digging back into it. But um, I, I I I kind of view it as after I'm after I'm I use it like my desktop is for desktop type things. Like I'm sitting at home and I'm doing desktop browsing type activities. And when I'm in work mode, when I'm trying to get something done, when I don't want any distractions, I don't want Telegram popping up. I don't want Quasa popping up. I need them running so that I can get to them if I need to send a message or, or look at something. But other than that, I just want it to stay out of my sight. I don't want noises. I don't want anything. If I'm in that mode, I want everything else to get out of my way. And I agree with you, Rakai, if you have a text heavy web page, especially if, for example, you have a terminal window open and you're trying to follow a tutorial, man, if you got that all on one monitor, trying to scroll through is ridiculous. But the great thing about Xmonad is I can have one window full screen on one uh, one monitor, one window full screen on the other monitor. I can read the web page and then I can use a key command to swap them and enter in my commands on the terminal. Now, you know what, now the page that I was reading becomes secondary still there so I can see it, but it's no longer in focus, no longer in my face kind of a thing. Yeah. You know what else does that? Alt tab. Well, kind of, kind of, except alt tab isn't, it, it, alt tab is going to, is going to switch the application. I mean, I, I guess I've never tried it on a, on a, on a multi-window setup, but if I, if I, if I have one window in focus, if I hit alt tab, won't it minimize that the window that previously was in focus or put it behind the first one? Uh, yeah, but see, the reason that that doesn't really make sense to me is how often are you going to need to look at a window at the same time as your 
using another window all the time, all the time. where where uh, alt tabbing won't just bring it up as quick as you can move your eyes um I guess for me, I like, I, I don't like it being totally hidden, right? Like if I'm following a command, it's a big long command string. I get the basic idea of what I'm doing. And then I want that window to kind of go away. I don't want it to disappear because I want to be able to double check myself. Oh yeah. CH mod. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Or the directory was local bin use. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I like to be able to kind of double check myself or just kind of have, it, it, it's, have you ever done this, Rick? I, have you ever been reading something or saying something that you've said or done a thousand times before? And Yet, if it's not in front of you or you're not holding it, it makes it harder to remember, even though you don't even look at it. Like, I'll give you an example. I do a, I do a ham radio net on Monday nights, and there's a script that I follow. And I've done the net for 10 years. I have the script completely memorized and have for nine of them. But if I don't have it in my hand, even if my phone is if the, my phone is on that screen, even if I'm not looking at my phone, I could turn my phone completely 180 degrees around. But just having it in my hand helps me remember that. Mm-hmm. And by the same way. Uh, when I'm following a command structure or a tutorial, just simply having it on the screen, just even peripherally helps me kind of stay in that, that mode. I, I, it's hard to explain, yeah. I guess. I actually, that's how, that's how I am for some of the introductions for the shows. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. That'd be a good example. Yeah. Coda radio, for example. Like I could, I could, I could read the Coda radio intro now, but every now and then, if I don't have it up on my screen when mm-hmm. I'm doing the show, I get thrown for a loop. Let me every guess. Just then. one or two words just kind of get jumbled, right? Not yeah, something happened. Yeah, and see, I kind of have the the opposite problem where I read something and I commit it to memory, and then if I have any information in my periphery, then I will have trouble remembering what I just read. Mm. So it kind of works the opposite way for me. Hmm. Hmm. That's you know that makes me think of a problem I've been having recently that is is getting worse and worse, and it's it's sort of like the uh, the Telegram problem where I. Because I use my phone for more and more things now when I'm at home, I go to do something on my phone that's like something I need to address or something I need to look up for cooking, and I, I wake up my screen and I see t- new Telegram messages, <laughs> and I open up the screen and that's what comes up, and then I find myself I'm in a conversation, and I've I've lost, I've completely lost and forgotten to yep. do what I actually went to my phone to originally mm-hmm. fight up for. Like it's just that inf- when new information comes in like that, it just pushes out the current task, it's boop right out of my head. Yeah, so I find it if I want to get things done, I actually want less windows because otherwise I'll just lose track of what I'm doing. So, and again, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the, the desktop window manager is if I put Quassel behind, you know, whatever the screener, I, 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 I give focus up to Quassel. I'm no longer the, the, the window manager recognizes that I'm no longer doing Quassel type things. Leave me alone with Quassel until I bring it back up. And then I can see things that are happening. And I, I kind of like that. Did you uh, play around with i3? I don't know if, did you go into that? I have. I played with i3. I Again, I played with Awesome. I did not like them near, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, 20% of it is I didn't like it as much as I liked Xmonad. 80% of it is everyone else that I know, the the three other people I should say that I know that are using tiling window managers and use them heavily uh, are using Xmonad. And so kind of what I'm doing is saying I am not a tiling window expert but I trust the fact that these people live in them, that they uh, they have all tried i3 Awesome and Xmonad and have told me that having tried all three, this is the one that they've chosen. And they all seem to choose the same one. Uh, so I, I've kind of gone to, well, I really respect their opinions. And I know we have a lot of other like-minded stuff. So I, I until I have a reason to leave Xmonad, I'll just kind of stay with it. So uh, before we go for the day, I thought should, we should probably take a moment and talk about ourselves just for a little bit so people know what they're in for. Oh, okay. 
Um, so we wanted to try something new on the uh, the network. Where where uh, this is this show in in a three or four really big ways is testing new backend technology, how it's being recorded, how it's going to be edited, how it's streamed, how it'll be posted, how it'll be shared, uh, how the feeds are set up. Actually, all of these things are all being try- we're trying new systems. So it's a little bit of an, of an experimental show. So I would imagine whatever I tell you now, it probably not match up in ten episodes and after and twenty episodes. It's, if it makes it that far, it probably will not be the same show. But right now, we're going for something that hopefully seems to be at least from time to time slightly insightful. But we're not going to take ourselves too seriously. Uh, maybe somewhat raw at times. User error will probably be weekly if we can manage to make that happen. Of course, testing all this new stuff, we'll we'll see if things work out the way we want. Uh, we're going to contemplate the issues that really kind of affect the Jupiter Broadcasting community. We sort of look inward to some of those things uh, to drive some of the topics of this show. Uh, it'll be predominantly uh, very uh, technology-heavy, but there'll probably be some high-level, big-picture stuff, too. Like, one of the things I would love to maybe dig in in a future episode with Noah is some of the things about that are when you're self-employed and you're own, your own boss, but you're also sort of a Linux advocate. And how do you balance being an advocate and... Deciding what technologies are best for your business, which not only pays your bills, but your employees and people that depend on you. Sure. So it's, it, there's a lot of interesting topics and areas we could go that aren't even necessarily like about the semantics of how tiling window managers work, but also sort of big picture topics. And I think we'll have a lot of fun with it. So uh, that's kind of my that's my idea. What about you, Noah? Did you, is there anything else you feel like we should color in there? You know, I... Uh and now you brought up small business. There's, yeah, it's hard not to go on a rant on it. But the um, I think part of it is part of the creation of the show, or the reason, or the inspiration for the show, if you will, is simply that um, you know a lot of the other shows they have a they have a a track that we have to follow, and they um, and they have they have already accumulated an audience. And so if you stray from that if you stray from that track, if you disappoint that audience, then you lose listeners. And so that's not something you can really risk in a lot of other shows. Yeah, and so not to mention, it's not like we there's any one of those shows we want to stop doing. We enjoy. Well, doing yeah, right, right. So yeah, it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just that there's all, oftentimes you and I get into some of the most. Well, you and I and Rakai, all three of us get into some of the most interesting discussions, and they occur in you know in a living room or or in your truck or or you know standing outside the backyard wherever and the problem becomes you know we we talk you know well that this make great show content right here right and there's no there's no shoe for that so we said screw the shoe we'll just rip the shoe off there will be no shoe and we'll just make a show and whatever yeah. happens to come out of the show comes yeah. out of the show and uh, and so that might not be everyone's cup of tea but i think if you're a person that is highly interested in technology in general or highly interested in Linux or highly interested in small business uh, or, 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 or anything tangentially related, I think you might get a lot out of the show. Uh, we will have RSS feeds over at the Jupiter Broadcasting Show. We've also registered a couple of domains. I like, um, I like, I like both of them. But we have error.show, which I think we should make our main domain, error.show. So eventually we'll have that pointed to things so you can uh, just pl- plug that in your browser and it'll take you to the category page on JB. Hopefully by the time this is posted, it'll, there'll be everything will be in Google Play and iTunes if you want to subscribe. If not, check within a day or so and we'll have direct RSS feeds linked in the show notes. I mean, it seems like a good stopping spot. But I just I have so many things I've more I mean, we can talk about. This is this is the new show with no rules. We could. You want to just all right. Well, what's on your J? What's on the top of your mind for JBot? Let's so talk about it. So we're hoping to have a new release of JBot out uh, by the end of summer. 
So like mid-September at the latest, hopefully earlier. But it's going to include something a lot of people have been wanting, which is um, asynchronous uh, website loading. So you won't have to refresh to see the updated votes and stuff on titles or new titles anymore. It'll just pop in and rearrange itself automatically. Oh, that's high tech. Yeah. And we're going to do other stuff that is less exciting, like uh, slowing down uh, the number of commands people can put in so they don't spam JBot off the server or, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. That's pretty cool. JBot's gotten extra cool this year. So there's people in the community that help you with that? Uh, yeah, specifically um, for a long time, Sipojar has been helping out. He's uh, been really useful. And more recently, we've had uh, Nelsk, who is awesome. uh, a Red Hat employee who helps out in his free time. He's the one that's uh, doing the, the website stuff. Um, and then extremely recently, we've also had Sophos, who has uh, added uh, the ability for us to do uh, live adding of uh, host quotes. So we'll be able to just add them from the IRC. During the show? Yeah. You know, one other thing, while we're giving shout-outs to people, we should give a shout-out to Heimer. For yeah, yeah. helping us out, do you want to talk about that stuff? He's he's done a lot of stuff on the back end that that makes it a lot easier for me to um, post the shows because the way it's been, it's basically just this giant mix of HTML and Markdown that I have to mess with every week. And uh, he's done a lot of stuff on the back end that will help fix that. Plus, uh, we've done a lot of stuff to speed up the site for the users. Uh, that's been a lot of work, but uh, we've made it, <laughs> and this sounds silly, but we've made it several seconds faster in loading. <laughs> Which is a big deal. Yeah. That's awesome. Also kind of semi-recently, a new HTML, HTML5 video player for the site, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've uh, switched away from the, the, the JW player to uh, video.js, um, and we're hoping uh, with a combination of some of the new features in the new video.js and... Uh, some of the changes Alan has been making to Scale Engine to maybe have uh, HTML5 live stream player oh. finally with switchable streams in so quality. You, yeah, so you can like switch between uh, the RTMP stream, the RTSP stream, the MP3 stream. Wow, the YouTube stream all on one page in one player. Whoa, without even having to reload the page. So there's probably going to be some general changes coming to the uh, JB Live TV main live page too then. Uh, maybe. Could just be just a player change. Yeah. Wow. Uh, in the long term, we might be able to just completely change the Jupiter Broadcasting site completely. And <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like we'd still be using WordPress, but only as a back end and just have a completely custom front end because we were looking into using some of the... Uh, the WordPress uh, API plugins to be able to just have a completely custom site. You know, you Chris, you're remarkably uh, like uh, nonchalant about uh, these major sweeping changes that are coming to the website of your company. Well, see, Noah, the difference is he trusts me. He, oh. he knows that you will break oh. things. <laughs> yeah, basically, I I, I, uh, I do. That's the same. I mean, I don't know about you breaking things, but I trust Rekai to, to get it to get it done right. And if it doesn't get done right, to get it fixed right. I don't know. <laughs> I, here's, here's, here's the thing. I don't know what to say, except I don't. There was a vote for what did Noah break now on the Stropful last week. 
Yeah, and that was definitely me. Yeah. Oh, was it really? <laughs> Did you remember yeah. the struggle? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's <laughs> <sighs> uh, I know. I know. But it's pretty cool. It's. I guess that's a lot of inside baseball stuff. Maybe people be interested in that. That's good yeah. stuff. And as far as um, JBot goes, we're always looking for more people to help. Uh, it's pretty well documented on the the, the GitHub page. So is it Python, Ruby, Ruby. Um, that's just what I ended up being the most comfortable with. And there was a, a bot that I could work off of because one thing I've learned about myself is that I am terrible at starting projects, but I can take somebody else's project or a dead project and extend it fairly Dude, extensively. You and I need to team up on more things because I am <laughs> amazing at starting things. And then I just beat her off because I get busy or forget. Well, see, that was uh, something I actually had in the, the, the show notes initially. You know, I was curious about uh, an update on your, uh, your learning coding. Oh, well, so I'm a coder now. I have a GitHub page. Nobody, oh, yeah. Just nope. like you're a gamer? <clears throat> yeah, I'm a gamer. You want to fight me? I'll fight you 1v1. I'll no-scope you. So I, uh, I, so a couple of weeks, well, this is actually right during DEF CON on the flight over. Everyone was doing, um, you know, cool coding things, and I'm feeling a little left out. And so I said, somebody teach me how to code. So he said, all right, what do you want to learn? I said, I don't know. Uh, what's a good language to start on? Like, it has to be Linux. should be open source, uh, preferably something scalable so I could actually write something useful someday. I said, well, basically what you're describing is Python. I said, all right, teach me Python. I said, all right, we'll teach you Python. So start teaching me Python. They said, well, how are you going to store all this code? And I said, well, see, that's been my problem before is I write a lot of stuff and then I forget it all. And by the time I go to actually solve a problem, I can't remember how to write any of the actual code to, to keep it useful. Uh, and so one of them suggested you should uh, publish to GitHub. Just put your code on GitHub. doesn't necessarily have to be because it's an actual useful project. It could just be code snippets that you want to remember and just put them on GitHub. So I created a fake username that nobody knows so that people can't uh, look and be like, they, they can't all go for entertainment and look at, look at how stupid Noah is. He, he figured out how to print hello world. Can't do that. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> totally anonymous username, but it, it's, it's on GitHub. And so now I have gotten exceptionally good at committing and putting in my little commit message and then pushing my changes out. It goes up to GitHub and then I pull it down on, on a different machine. And I've now gotten to the point where I have a dedicated development box that's hosted on DigitalOcean that's set up with the, with the, you know, different things. And I've tried different IDEs on my desktop and I think we're going to talk about those as an app pick some week, but it, uh, it, 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 it's been really fun because I am not a programmer. I don't have the mind of a programmer and I'm trying to force myself to, to learn how to, to develop. And I'll give you an example. And Rakai, as a developer, this will make you cringe, but I was told to write FizzBuzz. So I said, give me a problem to solve, guys. And so write FizzBuzz. What's FizzBuzz? Okay, well, you write one to 100. For numbers that are divisible by three, print Fizz. For the numbers that are divisible by five, print Buzz. For numbers that are divisible by both three and five, print FizzBuzz. I said, okay, print one, print two, print Fizz, print <laughs> Oh, one, man. Print Buzz. And and I get and I get done. I'm like, guys, guys, I did it. One to a hundred. I show them. They look at the code. And they go, great. Do one to a thousand. I'm like, jeez. Ah, print one to one. Print no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I get to a thousand. So finally, one, See, of them, one of finally one of them looks over and he goes, all right. Print one to a million. And I'm like. Oh boy. All right. We got to figure out a different way to do this because I can't <laughs> anymore. And so, and then, you know, I finally learned how to do, a, you know, I finally figured out how to do a loop. But the problem is I have like this natural inclination to, and you said it best one, and you said it best, Rakai, one time informally. I don't know if this ever came up on the air, but 
Rakai calls me the Walmart of Linux users because I, 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 I slide to the lowest common denominator and then I sit there as long as humanly possible and just ride it out because I know that I don't like change really is what it comes down to. Um, and, and that same thing, I think that same character flaw is what keeps me off of rolling releases. That same character flaw is what keeps me off of new fancy app light thingies. That same character flaw is what keeps me from being a good developer because I want, I always slide to the lowest common denominator. The thing I understand, the thing that is simple. And in the case of printing numbers one to a hundred, it's right a hundred print statements. Right. And so, um, and so by, and they, they, you know, they're good spirited about it. They just continue to make the problem more difficult until it became, you know, Im- impractical. To write. Yeah. Yeah. So then I st- then I learned how to do a loop. And, and, and so far they, you know, they keep giving me stupid little coding ideas and I keep doing them. And so I, I slowly, but surely I'm u- learning Python. Now my latest thing that I'm working on is a, a telegram bot. So we are, I'm trying to, and I'm trying to do this myself mostly because I want to get the experience doing it, but OS ticket has an API. Telegram has an API and, uh, supposedly, uh, there is a way that you can make these things talk together. So when I got a new ticket, I would get a telegram alert and I could respond and update the ticket through telegram. That'd be perfect for you. It would be great. We'll see if I'm actually smart enough to do it. See, it's uh, it's kind of a shame that, that you chose Python though. <laughs> Let me had, guess. Let me guess. If you had, Ruby? <laughs> yeah. If you had yeah. chosen Ruby, then there's a lot of little easy things that we actually have uh, issues for on JBot that, that you could use to, to learn. And uh, I think that's a reason that a lot of people don't uh, even bother to go and look and try to contribute contribute to JBot because they think it's all complicated and all the easy stuff has already been done. But there's a, a ton of more stuff that, that we could still use even if you're just coming to learn programming. That's one of the reasons that I uh, made JBot open is because I wanted to give even new coders uh, a place where they could not feel like they were just out of their 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 comfort zone. What is the advantage of Ruby over Python? Uh, it's mostly just what I'm comfortable with, but it's also a more um, web focused language. So okay. it 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 was, in my opinion, a better idea to use Ruby for something that had a web component. Sure. So you agree then, as a as a as a starter language that can scale up, work with graphical de- desktop and yeah, environments. Work with graphical environments on the Linux desktop. Python was probably a good choice to start with, anyway. Uh, I think most languages would would fit that. To be honest, I, I don't think like there there's a big gap between I mean, most of the languages. If you're working with GTK and and you want to do graphical desktops on Linux, Python's a pretty solid, well supported. Well, yeah, but you can also just do Ruby with Qt. Yeah. Well, there's there's bindings for most languages to most yeah, GUI yeah. front ends. Well, Py, um, PyGTK seemed to be a thing. So it was, yeah. that seemed to be a really easy way for me to, 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 to go from one thing to another. But I guess all that to say, I'm not opposed to learning Ruby as well. In fact, I'm not opposed to, at this point, I have gotten down the basics. I'm by no means a Python developer, but I've gotten down the basics to where if you ask me to, to run sort of any sort of computation, I could do it inside of Python. I can, I can run math. I can grab variables. I can take input. I can output text. I can, I can, I can do system commands, stuff like that. I, I can do like the basic things in Python. Um, so shifting to Ruby, I would not necessarily be opposed to if you got some, if you got some things you well, that I'm not going to break or screw up. That, see, that's the thing about programming languages is a lot of the concepts are portable yeah. between languages. It's yeah, just, just mostly syntax. the syntax. Sure. And, uh, I feel like you don't necessarily even have to to switch because once you've learned one language, most of the hard work is over. 
uh, you just are learning the syntax of a new language. Right, right. So you could just do both. Well, for me, though, I'm learning the syntax of a, a language, but then in addition, I'm learning the concept of, you know, we enter the loop, we evaluate the loop for a a given, you know, question, and then we do something either inside of that loop or we exit the loop where we get stuck in the loop. But, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of putting together some of those concepts, which interestingly enough, I did like 10 years ago in college with like visual, I think Java, I think that was a class I took back, you know, in college, but, uh, didn't really care for it much then can't say I care for it a whole lot now. Yeah. One of the, the reasons I specifically personally recommend Ruby for beginners is because a lot of the syntax and, and language is very, close to English. And on top of that, there are um, very approachable guides Mm -hmm. that a lot of, um, a lot of other languages lack. And I actually had a, I I, I tried to be a coder for years Mm -hmm. and I just kept failing at it because all the tutorials either just couldn't keep my interest or they explained things in a bad way. But with Ruby, uh, specifically, there's one guide called um, Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby. It's written by like this mysterious guy that has since disappeared from the Ruby landscape and has become a hermit that just wants to be left alone. You might have sent. I'm that not to even me. kidding. You might have sent that to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, I have. Okay, and it's essentially it's like a, a a children's book, but it's not actually a children's book. It it, it teaches programming via. Uh, anthropomorphic animals in a comic format Mm -hmm. and it it has a lot of humor and i found it really easy to read that guide specifically uh, because it kept my interest while also explaining concepts in a a way that related to the real world so it made it a lot easier for me to wrap my head around things are you familiar with pseudocode uh, no. So this is one of the things that guys were doing to, to, to teach me things. And it actually was remarkably effective. So pseudocode is instead of worrying, you just don't worry about the syntax and you write out the logic. So you would do something like if I want to say when my phone rings, then send an alert to my laptop. We would just, you would simply write out in English, if phone rings, send alert to laptop. And oh, okay. it, it yeah, forces yeah. you, it forces you to get into that frame of mind of like, especially when I was having trouble, like figuring out how to evaluate a loop and what needs to come be evaluated first. And then what needs to happen. If you write it out, it sounds stupid, but if you write it out in plain English and you look at it, 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 it's, it'll pop up, mistakes pop out to you. At least they do to me having not a coding background. I can pop out and say, oh, that this needs to be evaluated first. Otherwise this happens. And then I can go back and translate that into the actual syntax. And that's been a crutch I've used for a little bit. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of off that now, but it was really helpful when I was, when I was, when I was first kind of getting going, they'd sit down and try and explain something to me. I'd say, well, I don't understand. They say, well, just write it out in pseudocode, just write out plain English. And then we'll go back and, and figure out the syntax. And that was super helpful. Hmm. See, the, the thing with that is, is that works for a while, but I found that once you move to a program that is more than one file, yeah, it's hard oh, to, sure. to, to think like that. Oh, sure. Even so, with subroutines and stuff, I but, would imagine trying to jump around like that would be crazy. But the thing is, the way that Ruby is structured, I pretty much still do that. And I don't find it hard to follow at all because uh. it kind of tells you where it goes to another file and if if you get what i mean yeah yeah so yeah that's basically i'm just a ruby fanboy hmm. <laughs> that's fine if we if we remember we should put a link in the show notes to that uh, ruby guide that sounds cool i, I think uh, you showed it to me too yeah i also want to know chris um 
I know for a while you were trying to do programming stuff on Uncoder. Uh, how has that progressed? Well, I, I started with a, a course, but I I remained. My main issue remains that my priorities are just such that I don't have anything that's so important that I need to dedicate that much time to solving that problem. Yeah, yeah. My and problem so is I just don't care. Programming really is a scratch and itch kind of. Yeah, and it's just my itches are in other areas. Yeah, so that's why. But so it's been hard for me to pick up. But I, I think it, Ruby potentially, based on you guys' conversation, does sound sort of appealing to me. Yeah. That or Rust. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that... I recommend they've, Go. Uh, they've switched um, the video player in Firefox over to be written in Rust. All right, guys. We should probably go. So that's uh, User Error Episode 1 in the can. We are the users making the errors, and then we'll tell you all about them. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. <laughs>